0: Episode two of the Uncharted 80s podcast. Noel, we made it. <laughs> Still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for all your great feedback. It's really appreciated. Noel, you know, we've had some really good feedback, as you know. Uh, people have been you know texting us and leaving us Facebook messages and emailing, uh, which is great. And please keep that coming, everyone. Um, subscribe if you need to. Um, leave a five-star review, which would be great. It means you get all the latest episodes. And uh, that'll help us get up the uh, the podcast charts, and we're also now on YouTube, so you can listen uh, there as well. And we've had quite know, a few uh,
1: quite a few downloads already, haven't we? So not just in the UK either. We've had globally, we've had a lot of downloads. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, as you know, uh, we
0: we're, we're here to uh, take people on a journey back in time. Uh, we want to uh, we're diving into the world of perhaps those '80s bands that have flew under the radar. And left a lasting impact. And one of the things that we wanted to do was talk about untold stories. Following the first episode, uh, which was the uh, session with Screen Three and the Faith Brothers, um, well, we've got some. uh, We managed to get some interviews with those bands. Uh, We've already interviewed Neil Dyer, who was the guitarist and primary songwriter for Screen Three, and Peter Jay, who was the uh, trumpet player. Uh, of that band and uh, and that's coming up now because as you know Noel he he was we we both did both interviews and they were really great weren't they in terms of the yeah, stories that they told
1: yeah fascinating stuff to see what it's like on the inside you know to the the bands that we've loved so much you know
0: yeah let's um let's settle back listen to what they've got to say and uh you know i hope everybody in, enjoys that <laughs>
2: A girl looks at her body and looks into her mind These feelings seem to come at such an awkward time You never know which way to turn It comes as such a shock, you know they say you live and learn.
0: You look back with a with fondness of of your time in screen oh three. yeah I don't have
3: any uh re- well regrets at the time probably but no I we had a great time
0: how involved are you then in that in the sort of le- legacy side of of the band are you because obviously there's oh, the world of screen three was is up on yeah I did all that you did all that the yeah. Of, yeah the world
3: of screen three is literally not from the master tapes well a couple might be i can't remember years and years ago i did some needle drops of the tracks of the actual singles i own and most of what's on spotify is from those low quality mp3s so yeah i did all that and then i put together the two live albums digitally which uh, have you heard the really rough yeah. recording of the very yes, first yes. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah i heard that one Yeah. yeah. It's,
3: <laughs> it's for, for historical purposes you know, but it's not the best, but no. it's the very first gig you see, and at the beginning yeah. of that you can you can hear me introduce us as the Mexican bombers, I believe.
0: Yeah. The nineteen eighty-two one is is slightly better quality, isn't it? Oh, it's much better yeah. quality.
3: I've got I've got um tape of our very last gig, uh, which is good enough to put out. I just haven't got around to doing it. And, uh, ah, and there's okay. another oh, recording. Yeah. yeah there's another one from nineteen eighty three, which probably be good enough. I think it's recorded on the tour we supported to Explodes on a tour, and there was a cassette.
1: The um, the 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 first one, the, the 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 one you described as rough, but the I think Village Hall one. Um, there was a song on there. I think it was called "I Feel Like Screaming," and uh, when yeah. I heard it, I thought that sounds a bit like um, a little, just a little, like the early Cure, like Three Imaginary Boys. I kind of kind of got a bit of a vibe from that. Then I think I read that you were that was one of your influences. Is that right? That the the Cure were one of the the bands that you that you liked as an influence.
3: Yeah, well just, just that first album really. It's the only yeah. one I had at the time.
1: I really loved
3: the first cure album and that was what I was listening to around the time I was writing the songs for the screen three.
1: Well, and yeah, so, it's a great album. Yeah, and yeah you could I, I definitely got a sense of that and it's great. Yeah, really good. Well, it's good that you heard
3: that in there. I mean it's, I, I, didn't, I never thought they were as good after that album, apart from they were a great singles band and they carried on making fantastic singles, but I've never yeah. really loved any of their other
0: albums. Because you, when, you, when I looked at who, who'd written the songs, it looked like, I mean, you were clearly the the main songwriter, but you obviously did do a yeah. few collaborations on there with the other band members. Yeah, yeah but, one or two. It tended to be,
3: it sort of depended on, who came up with the idea first? There was a couple with me and Richard Kett, the bass player. After he got a bit more confidence a little bit later on, he, he would write the whole song himself and bring it to me and actually tell me what to play. And then I would just write the lyrics. It was the other way around from when I wrote a song. Basically, he would he was a bit he still is a bit of a control freak, music-wise. <laughs> and he he wasn't gonna just give me a bass line and and say, make of that what you will he would write my guitar part he'd write his bass part and then he'd try and tell the drummer what to do but that was always very difficult (laughs) um and then whereas when I wrote a song I would come along with the guitar and play it and then just usually go along with whatever they played along with it but it would still be written by me there was a couple we might have jammed on so everybody got credit I think coming to my jungle was actually all of us uh, yeah, I just I, I looked at the di- dividing uh, on, line. Looks
2: on, like it's all you. Yeah, dividing yeah. line came out of a bit of a jam, so that's yeah. all of us. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Jungle was was all of us, but the others didn't get as much of a share on the back no. in the background. The publishers you you can have fifty percent of one person and then ten percent each. The others you can have all sorts of weird splits, and that one was a bit like that. But then they, the record company got it wrong on the label and just credited me on the label of the single, oh, okay, which confused okay. people. Oh, but wow. actually, but actually the the money. Such as it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, was split in weird
0: ways. But and what about the arrangements then? Because obviously that I saw that change. I don't know if it was just money that was the difference, but that changed you seemed to get the sound got a bit bigger as you as you went on, you know, a bit more well, Oh you know, with the trumpets,
3: yeah. Yeah, the brass and, and so on, yeah. But it wasn't just the trumpets really. I mean, we just um the early tracks were a little bit tinny sounding, really. And I suppose we, we started going into bigger studios yeah, I mean, I so. the, the, the first single we, we did two tracks on an album as well Have you, you heard that or heard of it? The Norwich of Fine City?
0: Yes, I've yeah. Live Got and Learn, Save the Black
2: yeah. I listen to our dreams that tell me life. In fear that innocence will die I live in shades of black I feel safe From all forms of attack But sometimes pain gets through I live in fear of whispers I can't hear I live in fear if strangers come too near. I live in shades of black. I feel safe from all forms of attack, but sometimes pain gets through. Yeah, that, that was the first thing we did,
3: and that was in a tiny studio outside Norwich somewhere called white house studios so it's just a bit tinny really i mean studio little studios back in those days they just sort of stuck phasing on all the guitars and just sort of isolated the drums too much and made everything a little bit amateur sounding really i mean yeah I, and and then we did the the next single we went to a bigger studio because robin's and britain did that album and then and then they did a single with existence which was a big indie hit so they Thought oh well the next band up we'll do screen three a single with them and then we we because we did that in a point studios I think it's in Victoria and it was a little step up you know it was the, the Thompson twins did their first records there there's a story behind that as well that single if you want it mm. uh, the the, the oh. new, new blood uh, European journey we we went in the studio believing European journey oh yes
0: got it yeah see,
3: see that that was that was an, a weird example of a small label doing what the hell they wanted with it and not taking much account of us which is usually a story you hear from big labels mm. we probably got more cooperation from CBS than we got from Romans and Britain nothing personal wow. Wow. because wow. i knew the guys and everything but but they were and they were putting the money up yeah european journey was the ace side it was supposed to be the ace side that's what we aimed it to be it was an early song with the trumpets because they weren't all over all of our songs by that point. We were doing gigs where the trumpets would just come on for two or three songs and then it sort of built up more. So that was at that sort of crossover stage that we did European Journey. We just tacked tapped on the trumpets on that track. It had been a major feature without trumpets before that's that.
1: right when you well like, even the village hall one it was uh, one of the, the first track you played i think on there as well yeah, as a yeah it was pitch. kind of a
3: signature song really it was the one yeah. that you know you did it in the set and you did it again in the encore because you didn't have any other songs. and uh the single i think sounds weedy compared to what it could sound like live with the side two or three of us have done a really scrappy demo in pete's house onto a uh, reel-to-reel uh, tape reel-to-reel tape uh, where we were just mucking about with New Blood. So New Blood was kind of a joke, really.
2: One breath and a dying candle New steps to an ancient dance All oh, songs of a different language New moon and new romance she dies and she just lies there New blood on ancient sheets Her heart miss a beat this No sleep in this dark city There's love but there's no pity No sleep in this dark city There's luck, but there's no pity here Young men and old virgins She's cold against his skin New crimes and new inventions As the ancient rites begin He gambles all his knowledge She already knows she'll win no, noise, no guilt, no sin. There's no sleep in this dark city. There's love, but there's no pity. No sleep in this dark city. There's love,
0: but there's no pity here. And so we thought that would be fun to put on the B side. But <laughs> that it out
3: to be the A side. Yeah, because yeah. the guys, because the thing is, there was a whole trend at that time in the charts for all this stuff like Blue Rondo à la Turk and sort of. If you and if you want to go to the poor end of it all you know modern romance you know and that kind of sort of platinum beat in the little rap i mean so anyway after we'd made the two recordings they decided that that was going to be the a side and that's why it's not on world of screen three because we disown it yeah i mean it's i don't get too embarrassed about it now and it is that track apparently that appealed to cbs to sign us so but okay. of course if if it had been the other way around we may not have got signed to a major label but we we might have continued with that more indie sound not got lost in the big the big
1: boys game but you know when you when, the, when you bought the horns the trumpets in was that um were you influenced by other bands that you know that had a, a horn section the major you thing you know what this is going to work yeah. for us
3: well i think so i think well it was partly because I got to the point where i was struggling to think of brand new ideas with just three of us all the weight is on the guitar and the vocal really then to, to you know, carry that a song. Obviously, you need to rhythm section in a big way. But and I, and I was neighbours. I lived next door to Peter J, You see, and he played the trumpet. It wasn't uh, his voice. main in, it wasn't his main instrument. He was a guitarist in a band, and we we stole him. I think the other guys in that band resented us for that, but we. We nicked him. They were quite a good band. Um, shame he couldn't have carried on doing both things, really. But we recorded that New Blood demo with him on the trumpet. And I think it went from there, really. And he couldn't really do it on his own. So we advertised for a, another player. So we didn't know Jason. He just is local, but he answered an advert and came in. And he was a much better trumpet player.
1: Didn't Jason play the trumpet for the Stranglers on some yeah. live gigs?
3: Yeah. He, he did, he did, um, for. A, he toured with them. It was, they were sort of between studio albums, really. I think it was at... I don't know what, what gap. I was quite a fan of The Stranglers, still am. So he only actually, on record, he only appeared on that live album. Yeah. But he, he toured with them for quite a lot longer
0: than that. Okay. So, so as you, so how did you, you said CBS recognised you, or sort of thought that New Blood got you noticed. How how did that come about then? How did that you know relationship with with CBS?
3: Um, it was the usual thing, really. We had a manager who was local, but he was he ran all the gigs at the UEA. Okay. Uh, he's called Nick. He was called Nick Rains. They've named the the main hall at the UEA now the Nick Rains LCR Lower Common Room. Oh wow! Because okay. they
1: still um, they still do gigs there, don't they? They're oh still. yeah. Ongoing. Yeah,
3: yeah. That, we did our farewell gig in that hall, um, and pretty much filled it. But Nick Nick was our manager, so he that put us on another level locally, for, certainly. And then he was quite good at he, obviously we just sent tapes to people, and they came to see us in London. He, we got signed up to an agency that could put, give us small gigs and support gigs in London and elsewhere. So we just got seen by NR people. There, we there was a bit of a bidding war because. In a small way And Epic wanted us as well So then Nick went to Epic and said This lot are offering us two single deal We'll come with you if you offer us a three single deal And they did So we went to Epic instead of the other lot I did, I've i sometimes wondered since then Whether the other lot might have actually done more with us Because they were sort of small and hungry and keen And yeah. Epic was a bit yeah. big you know. So yeah. two singles or three singles may not be the issue But it did give us another bite of the cherry Having a
0: third single out, I suppose so, in my in my humble opinion, those those three singles uh, were were getting better and better. So, what 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 happened? What why did they decide not to sort of go any further with like maybe a, f- a full album or, you know, some compilation or something?
3: Well, they probably well one factor they did, just didn't didn't sell. Yeah. I mean, the, Coming to My Jungle was doing okay. It got yeah. some attention. Got some. It was weird because we were getting played by Peel. And we were getting played by Diddy David Hamilton on Radio 2 in the afternoon because it's quite a sort of easygoing sort of track. It's yeah, not confrontational. Yeah,
1: yeah. More um, accessible, yeah.
3: It's accessible. And I think the, they were struggling to think of another track that we had already that could be the third single and that nothing we were doing as a demo suited them. And they said, go ahead and write some more. So I think what the problem was we worked hard to come up with maybe five or six songs, some that Richard basically wrote, or some I wrote, and we demoed them and sent them off to them, and they chose City of Souls. The City of Souls
2: I went up to heaven and I spoke to the angels above and they told me They said, it's hard to believe what it takes to achieve Happiness come so slowly You don't need to say your prayers every day Your loving will help you go on your way You'll never grow old in the city of souls You'll never grow old in the city of souls I went up to heaven and they told me that I should come back when I'm older I said, I'm too much to love and my heart is too young Just to find a right you don't need to say your so it was a
3: brand new song it hadn't got any kind of track record live it was just knocked up in a, in a demo studio and, and then put out and then we went to make it in a big studio in London so I think it's not a bad record but maybe it just didn't really float people's boats like coming to my jungle did i'm not really sure and um yeah there was no contract for an album so we we would have had to really be selling or making some inroads you know
0: okay Uh, so after so uh, okay so the three singles then but you could have tried would you have tried or did you try to go to another uh, record company you
3: feel not really no we did that last single which it was a weird thing nick the manager, decided that we were going to spend a little bit of money we had left over from the advances. We, we would get an advance per single, which was purely our money because they would pay for the sessions in the studio. And we had a bit left over. So Nick said, let's go to Spacewood Studios in Cambridge, which is smaller. And we'd been there many times doing our B-sides uh, for the CBS record. So we went back to Spacewood, Spacewood and recorded The Visitor. <laughs>
2: In the sounds, wondering how long he's gonna be around. He doesn't need a girl, cause he looks like the world from a different point of view. He asked for a glass of water from and another
3: track called Broken in Love, which was on one of the sessions. <laughs> ready. Of that, with an idea that we would put out maybe two more singles. So, and then Nick somehow had this idea that it'd be worth. He was trying to sort of get behind a couple of other local bands, Um, friends of ours. You know, there was a three-track EP. It's a bit. It's not very long, really. Our track's four minutes, and the other two tracks are really short. But uh, the Fire Hydrant Men were mates of ours. Railway Children were mates of ours. The Railway Children were two guys really and one of them was Steve Osborne that guy you mentioned in your podcast that went on ah, to do a very okay. good right. and all that sort of stuff. and he, so he's in the Railway Children and he played Brass on our last gig it was a bit weird having us on one side and two other bands on the other side but and then because we decided we were fed up I, I pretty much came to a stop and I said Let's, we're going to split up so we had copies of that record left over, and Nick said, why don't we just give that away at the last gig as an incentive to buy a ticket? You know, it was all on the posters. Come to, the, you know, whatever the price was for the gig, and you'll get a free 12-inch on the way in. So the gig was full of all these people trying to hold on to these 12-inch records and not getting them bashed. Um,
1: I, I saw the poster, actually. it's a pink poster. And I, I, both those bands supported you, didn't they, didn't they, on your last gig? Yeah, yeah, it was neat yeah. in that way because
3: you had all the three bands that um, were on a record playing live. Brett was drumming for two of them. I think Brett was drumming for the Fire drum Men that night as well, so he was knackered at the end of it. It was a good night. It, well, it's, it's, there's a sad tale there because we had the whole lot on video, just fixed camera from the sound desk, and I had one one video take copy of it, which has gone, gone, disappeared, lost forever. No. Which oh, no. is a great shame. I lent it to someone. I formed a band, basically, with some of the old guys and some new guys, it's a complicated history, which I could go into if you really want me to, but the second version of Screen 3, I only called it Screen 3 to try and get gigs in London on the basis of the old name, because we were, we didn't do any old songs whatsoever, we just did the new
1: new stuff. Screen 3, where did the name come from? There was a guy we knew, well I
3: knew him, he was called Jem, and he well, I was just walking along the road one day and he's trying to think of a name for the band and he came up with Screen 3, because there were three of us, and it... Sort of sounded like a cinema. There was no particular reason for it to sound like a cinema. We weren't film buffs, necessarily. I was briefly good mates with Jem and then kind of got out of touch with him. He ended up in serious drinking, if you've heard of him. Yeah, I have no idea. They did pretty well with an album and Peel plays and stuff, but I'd lost touch with him by then. He was quite vocally critical of us going commercial. Uh, right. A lot right. of people were locally. A lot of people thought we were What's selling out? out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Locally, that was. Uh... It's interesting talking to you guys who weren't from Norwich who loved the trumpets. And Pete yeah. was really glad to hear that as well because I told him you'd said that. And yeah. well, he heard it, I think. In
0: yeah. He said he listened to it.
3: You know, and it just makes a nice change for to see people liking the trumpets. That, you know, are out, out there in the world. You
0: know, because what you so mentioned about serious drinking was, was there a scene? Was there? Because we said that at the beginning of our podcast about mm. the, the Norfolk sort sort of scene with like the farmers' boys and the Higsons and so on, and and others. But was there a what? Was there actually a scene? Or a, well,
3: or who knows what other. you mean by a scene? Yes, we well, knew each other. I mean, we did that album, Norwich Find the City, City, yeah, which was controversial because it was paid for by guys at the university, and so a lot of the local guys in bands felt left out. Like it was all the spot slots on the album were, were given to bands that had a link with the university. I mean, Screen Three was just me that was ex-university. The other two guys were from Norwich, which I think helped helped us a bit in the local standing. Yeah, so I, I knew the Hickson's, Yeah. Well, I mean, our second gig was their second gig. Uh I lived around the corner from Charlie Higson's, so I used to pop around and see him. And I mean even then he was a brilliant writer. Mm-hmm. Um as we moved along, we didn't become unfriendly, but there was the rival the rivalries kind of increase. So you don't hang out with each other as much. Yeah, farmers boys came along a little bit later, but I used to go see all the early gigs because I really liked them. And so they become friends, you know. But they weren't part of that original scene. They were from kind of out in the rural Norfolk and Suffolk, really. And they still all live around those parts. They're like, they're a country band now. They're still going under a different name, but they play a completely different sort of music, sort of country music, really.
1: The um, sorry, just going to say, I noticed that I was looking at the list of the gigs and things I'd seen that you performed. Over time, that both the Higgsons and the Farmers Boys had supported you at some point. So, uh, yeah. I guess that you know should have shows that obviously you were the you were the bigger band for want of a bit of expression really at that point. Well,
3: we were we were we were really big in Norwich. So usually when we played Norwich, they would support us. Higsons got a bit bigger than that, and they got and also the Farmers Boys did as well over time. So I think if Screen Three had lasted beyond eighty four. We might have been supporting farmers boys if we'd have you know swallowed our pride yeah they played under under us because the thing is they hixson has got bigger sales in the indie charts
1: right bigger mm-hmm.
3: sharp positions in the indie charts so they could play small clubs all around the country on the strength of that we were kind of on a big label and sort of might have been selling more than them, but you wouldn't know because you could sell the same amount and be number 105 in the chart, you know, so you're just out of visibility, you know what I mean? So they had that indie visibility and then endless sessions with Peel. And it, yeah, it's odd that Peel liked us because we were so commercial, but there you go. I've
0: got a couple of other things, um, just just things that I, I, I was interested in, really. One was about, we, we'll be asking everybody that we talked to um, what their favourite memory was of the time, so have you got Ooh. um have you got one that springs to your mind?
3: Well, I, I suppose the whole the whole of the teardrops tour was brilliant because I got to see the teardrops playing every night.
0: Very good. Uh, even
3: though they were on the way out. Yeah. But in terms of one event, I suppose the fun bit was the Wham party. That was good fun. they had done the first album and uh, they would they took uh, a day longer than they were supposed to mixing. So we were all hanging around in the sort of video room. Waiting for them to finish their album, um, and then they had a party that, uh, like, a closing of the album party in the studio. So we all got invited because we were, like, waiting to go to start recording. So we all went to this huge party with Wham! and Spandau Ballet and Shirt Pepsi and Shirley and God knows who else. Oh, wow! And all at this party, and then there was um, Gus Dudgeon famous Elton John producer was there in the other studio recording Stephen Bishop, some American singer-songwriter guy, and he wanted party noises on his track. So everybody piled in and making party noises on a track of his. That's and then brilliant. He, and they were rolling the Wham! album over and over again from the master tapes in th- through the whole party. So that's all you had. And Pete just decided he was fed up with that. So he got the madness greatest hits out of our van and brought and switched off the wham album and put the, the madness cassette in as well and made it come through the whole building but well, it didn't last long they took it off but yeah that, i suppose that was fun there's probably loads of other good stuff
0: so so are you is it are you done with screen three is it you did the obviously Are re- you not comfortable is it uh is it something that you, you just look back on with fondness, but not something you'd want to um, reignite?
3: Not now. It, it wouldn't happen now. It nearly happened about 10 years ago. When I first came back from Australia, it nearly could have happened. We did, and this would be a proper reunion, rather than me just forming yes. a new band with yes. the Yes, older. just losing and the name. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I was... We were... Brett had a studio out in the country, like a proper studio room, and he had his kit set up in there and everything. That's how we recorded those B and Deluxe things. Um, and then... He had an idea to record, to re-record the best songs from our mm. early pre, pre-trumpet pre days and properly record them so that make them sound without all that tinniness, which is what I was mentioning earlier, all of actually proper beefy versions, without not putting any new production ideas in, mm. not adding keyboards or doing weird things, just three-piece made to sound good uh, and do about a dozen tracks. And we did that. Richard came along, he taught me my guitar parts again. I couldn't remember them. It's a miracle like that. I don't know how he he just retaught. I've forgotten them all again now. But he taught me all my guitar parts. We recorded them. sounded pretty good. But then it fell apart because me and Richard came up to see Richard uh, to see Brett and listen to his mix because he was the one. It was his studio, and we had a few constructive criticisms to make of things we might want to improve in the mix.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And that was it. The whole thing came to. A- clunking stop and brett decided he didn't want to do the band deluxe anymore and also the screen three project came to a halt as well wow. so he's still got all those tapes as well i've not heard of them since
0: oh wow i was just going to we've ask what touch. happened to them yeah. yeah so we've lost touch
3: well brett that's a shame he didn't want Cause... to know me anymore so so i don't know it was weird for the, anyways...
0: the songs right they're so they still yeah. got nuts and berries is still one of my favorite songs of
2: a house and a wife and an open mind. I want to eat just the same berries, with a house and a wife and an open mind. I love you all so much, that it hurts me. Turn on the TV, open your eyes, you got a tremendous amount.
0: Some we always played songs. it too fast
3: but it was a good
0: song yeah, yeah. no it's, and i think that we just it just feels like there's there's a bit missing from the screen three story um but i'll live yeah yeah because if that
3: if that had come out we might have done a gig or two, maybe, you
0: see to promote. maybe with a bit more spotlight maybe i should turn the brightness up on the spotlight and maybe that'll change things who knows but
3: yeah uh, all right well there might be there might be some more i don't you've probably got things to get onto as well but there are some ideas for me and uh Pete talked about the other
0: night yeah okay well look thank you for your time thank you noel um really appreciate thanks, it, thanks it and thank good luck guys. and hopefully we'll be in touch
3: Alrighty, no worries
1: nice talking to you so, so neil told us that you were in a band before you joined screen three and actually he thought they were a great band and sort right. of felt a bit guilty about pinching you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, who were they? What what we you know? What well, did they did They gig around, or we we did a
5: few gigs. Uh, it was um, just a school band with with some mates. I I learned piano from the age of five and trumpet from the age of eight. Or classically trained. Wow. Um, and but really wanted to play guitar and drums and bass. Did all all the the cooler instruments. So I picked all those up as i could my dad was a guitarist and into jazz and big bands so i was very disappointed when i went down the punk route <laughs> but i also I had this almost like a, a double life i played in a big band um like the glenn miller traditional big band from about the age of 13 and he played yeah. guitar in, in the band so we was doing those sort of gigs but really getting into the punk and, and rock music and i wanted to form a band and you know the, the thing is you do it with your mates but my two best mates didn't really play anything so I had to teach them we we took that punk ethic and and I said well just strum this bass here and, and, and play some drums and they picked up quite well and we I was the main songwriter and singer but they all contributed ideas but we were never more than a, a bedroom band really we played at a few few parties and then um we we managed to well, getting a bit ahead of myself. Yeah, we we were called we went through various names. After dark and dark ages, I can't remember which came first or second. And we just recorded a little crackly demo. But I did some recording at at home. I'd managed to get hold of a two track tape recorder and was experimenting with overdubbing. Wow! Um, never very good. I, I, you know, I wish I had perhaps paid more attention, and, but it always seemed a bit technical and geeky. And I I'd never quite, I was impatient just to record it and see what came out. I, I could have, you know, Steve Osborne, for example, went on and took that in a whole different direction. But Exactly, I, yeah. Uh, I just enjoyed recording. Uh, the, the story of how I got to know Neil and then how he might have felt guil- guilty, he um, was lodging at the house next door to where I lived. And the our neighbour, I'd grown up with them and their kids, she said she knew I was into my music and bands. She said, oh, I've got this lodger, Neil, he's a UEA student. Um, he's got a band. Um, I think they're playing soon. So I got to chatting with them, and they were playing, I think, their fifth gig. And I wow. uh, went to see it and was just blown away. Uh, the the I'd seen local bands before, and no one ever felt like they could be more than just a local band, and and they were extraordinary. Um, and I thought to myself, then uh, somehow I'm going to join that band. I, I don't know how. They didn't seem like they needed anyone. One of the things I thought I might do is uh, I knew the bassist Richard was, I think, only 15 at the time. Wow. And Neil was a bit concerned that they couldn't actually play, or he wasn't allowed into some of the places they were they were playing, and didn't know how that was going to pan yeah. out. So I thought, well, I can play bass a bit. Um, Perhaps if that was a problem, I could go in on bass. Then I I just followed them and was just a fan and got to know them all. Uh, About a year later, they wanted to, that was 1980, spring of 80, they wanted to record a demo. And Neil knew that Neil had been around and we'd messed around with the the two-track tape recorder. So I said, why don't you come in and, and set up and we'll see if we can record a couple of tracks. So we did two songs I think one called new blood I don't know if that's ever appeared anywhere and yeah, um, it's on a single <laughs> that's on the single yeah that's yeah, on is it. that what? I was thinking, well, maybe it's those two yeah. it, new blood and European journey I can't remember if it was those two maybe it was no yeah. it was because it was new blood that's right yes it was new blood that I <laughs> I ought to know my own records I know and singles um yeah the other one and Neil had an idea for a bit of trumpet a bit of brass because that was what was happening at the time um teardrop explodes um, higson's locally um elvis costello and he said can you come up with a little trumpet line or something for this so i did and um they all liked it and said would you come and play on a gig they had a gig in in norwich and i said all right well do the gig if my band can support and oh, great one. we'll organise that. So my my band played the support gig and we really enjoyed that. And uh, then I came on just for this one number and um, that went down really well and everyone was really buzzing after it. And they said, oh, we've got to have a bit more trumpet on a, another couple of songs. So I went along to a couple of rehearsals and I think the next two gigs were in London. Extraordinary. I went from one gig playing on on one song to suddenly we, we did the... The venue, which was the old Virgin Place in was it Victoria, Victoria, yeah, Victoria, um, yeah, and then I think it was the the Euston Road. Was it the Greyhound? or so? it was. It was a, you know, a couple of quite prestigious venues, yeah, um, and it, it was huge. We'd gone from just sort of, for me personally, relatively nothing. Um, playing parties and, and little gigs to so suddenly we'd got this couple of gigs in London and they wanted some trumpet on more numbers so I think I, we I put some stuff, we rehearsed and I did a bit I think it might have even been European Journey then and uh, a couple of others and they were amazing and we loved it really wanted the trumpet sound. Um, they were getting a lot of good feedback from it, but I was already in a band and I was quite loyal. They were my mates. And I said, look, I I think maybe, why don't we try and get another trumpeter so that when I'm not available, he could fill in. And if we're both available, we could both play. So we put an ad out and we recruited Jason. We found that when we both played at the gigs, that sounded really good uh, and in rehearsal. And actually what we probably need is two trumpets rather than run just one. Yeah. So um, I was trying to do both bands and it was proving difficult. We were getting quite a lot of gigs as Screen 3 and a bit of interest. And so I I had to tell my mates that, um, you know, sorry, this this really is the direction. The, uh, this is what I want to do. Yeah, so it was like breaking up with a girlfriend. It was awful. And they were very upset. and I, They didn't talk to me uh, for a while, but... Um, at least one of them is still a very good friend and I see regularly. So we're, we're all right. Kissed and made up now, but um, that that was tough. And I think Neil did feel a little bit guilty, but I could just feel the, the difference. I remember, I think at that first London gig, I was standing at the back of the stage. It wasn't very big. It was just the, the pub um, next to Brett on drums and the power coming off the drums, working with a proper drummer. Whereas um, my friend Chris, who was fine, but he was someone I had taught to play drums, and he wasn't a drummer, and the difference was was extraordinary. Richard on bass, um, that was quite a formidable backline. So I, I just had to go with that. And, and
1: really go. great stuff. So when when you when you uh, used to go and see them as a three piece, yeah, uh, they played obviously used to play European Journey, for example. Yes as a three piece. And then obviously you added the horns to it. Were you? Yeah. Did you devise the horn parts of it? Yes, I, I wrote guys... all the horn
5: parts. Wow. Uh, there might have been one or two where Neil or Richard might have suggested an idea, but I, I mostly came up with, with all the horn parts.
1: Um, so one thing we wanted to ask you about is uh, how you got picked by John Peel to do the sessions. Uh,
5: that That is quite a good story. And I remember telling this and Neil couldn't remember it um but uh I'm convinced it happened I know it did I was we were there but we the first session the Kid Jensen one so on the back of European Journey and New Blood we got um the Kid Jensen session and that went out and that was well received and then we signed to Epic and um released Come Into My Jungle and then there was a Deafening deafening silence from from Radio one or from from Kid Jensen's office wow. and we just assumed we would we would do another session and we, we so we were a bit perturbed by that and um we thought we'd go and find out and you, you can't imagine being able to do this now, but we went to went to London. I think it was Neil myself and Richard um Brett and Jason both had proper jobs um, Neil. I think it was on the Dole, had just finished as a student. And Richard was still a student. I think he was only 17 at the time. And I worked as a builder for my parents. So whilst I didn't get paid for taking time off, it was much more flexible. I could say, right, I've got, I've got to go to London. So we went to Radio 1, to the, to the offices, and just said to security, oh, we're here to see um, Kid Jensen's producer. Um, and they just let us in. That's incredible, isn't it? (laughs) uh, Yeah, uh, we were walking through the... uh, Is it called Langham Place? I think Radio 1 was something. Oh, Langham House.
1: Yes, that's right. Portland Place, I
5: think, yeah. Oh, Portland, yeah. He said, um, oh, second floor, where it is. and, And off we went. And I think he must have phoned up ahead because as we were walking along the corridor... Kit Jensen's producer came sort of bustling out of his, his office to try and fend us off in the corridors. Oh, guys, guys, you know, hi, uh, what are you doing here? So we just thought we'd, we'd come and ask you a couple of questions because, you know, he was so enthusiastic about the, the first session and, and the first single, and we did that, and, and he said, well, we didn't really think... We thought you sold out a bit on on the second single. We didn't really oh, like coming to my you, jungle. And, you
1: used and, the word sold out, well, wow. Yeah,
5: I think, and, and the the... The major label that sort of seemed to take away from it all, and we walking along the corridor was John Peel, um, with his Walkman on, his a cassette Walkman, and and I said, oh, John, uh, oh, Mister Peel, well, I can't remember, but hello, and he took his headphones. off and said, oh, the guys, who, who who are you then? I said, oh, we're Screen Three, And he said, Screen Three, and he looked at his cassette. And he said, I'm listening to your demo. He <laughs> had the demo that we'd sent the in, in his cassette in uh, the Walkman. And we thought, oh, my goodness. He said, it was great. I love it. He said, oh, are these guys giving you a session? I said, no, they don't want to. He said, well, well I will. And, uh, and that
1: was it. That is
5: brilliant. Yeah. I, I mean, the
1: look that he was playing, playing your tune. He happened, happened to, to have our
5: Yeah. In his Walkman, walking along. It was one of those yeah moments. So wow, I can't brilliant. believe Neil didn't remember it. But uh, um,
0: And when you did that session... Or um, well, you finally got to do that that yeah. session? How did you feel about it? Because we, it's like we we would sort of think some of those John Peel sessions are quite iconic. Yeah, um, I wondered if it was sort of a bit special, or was it just actually it was just a recording studio? It wasn't really anything different to what we'd done
5: before. Well, oh no, it was definitely different and special. You were in Maid of Ale. Hmm. um Neil, I remember Neil being really impressed with the producer. Um because it was the former drummer of Mot the Hoople, whose name escapes me, but he would have wow. um, Neil knew that. He, and he he was producing it for us. The the it was a huge studio. It's, it's how I haven't been there, but it's how I imagine um Abbey Road to be. It's a big place. The studios we'd been into up to then been fairly compact um carpets on the wall and 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 things. Um no, this was high-tech. I remember it, it'd be the first computerized mixing console. They had a screen above it, and this was 1982, and it was wow. um, or early 83. I can't remember now the exact date, but um, very, very impressive, and the, the uh, f- faders moving automatically. So, um, yeah, it, it was definitely something different and special, and John Peel's sessions were, as you say, iconic to be part of that. I think there was an element feeling natural. Well, of course, of course we got a John Peel session. You know, looking back and afterwards when it all got away, you think, oh, God, perhaps we should have taken a little bit more time to have appreciated it. I wish we'd taken more photos. I think we'd never bothered with that and snapping away in the studio and stuff. You see all these great iconic photos of other bands in in the studio. I think there was just this, it was going to happen all the time. And and you didn't necessarily think it was going to just not go on beyond another year or so, but, uh, but no, definitely special. You obviously did the two sessions, yeah, with John Peel, and was um,
0: did the band get a a bounce profile bounce from from doing those sessions?
5: I don't know. I, don't, I I don't remember whether we did or not. It was all part of a a process. We were on Epic there was an, an element of of uh, promotion involved there. I, I do think we were well no we were one of the much lower profile bands um on their books. So we didn't get the machinery like like others do. But um I'm I'm sure that got sent out in press packs, but I don't particularly remember um a bounce from that.
1: I'll ask you a question actually. So um yeah. on the second session, Steve joined on trombone. Yes. Uh, so that must have been a really interesting change of dynamic. How did that feel? To sort of, did it did it feel like really like you'd even made the, the scope of the sound that much better, you know, bigger, you know? Yeah,
5: I, I think we wanted to just broaden things um a bit. Steve was brought in uh, um to help with some demos. He was someone who did a lot of home recording. He he was part of a, a little group who'd set up a a basement recording studio they were called The Kitchen and that's where he cut his teeth and um, Nick Raines our manager who was the entertainment officer at the UEA um, he knew of Steve and he brought him in to help us record some demos I think we we felt at the time it was going a little bit flat we needed some more songs it we'd plateaued a little bit um, we hadn't uh Come to My Jungle hadn't done quite what we expected it to do. And Neil had got some some good songs, but um we were trying to get I suppose we were trying to get a hit, really. Or trying, and and Nick Rains wondered whether it was down to production, whether we if we came up with something that was uh punchy in a demo form, it would stand out. So uh Steve got involved there and because he played trombone, he probably played trombone on that demo and and so it yeah, it was natural he would come when he was available but i'd known steve um since i was about 12 we played in the local um students wind band philharmonic wind band um steve was um salvation army family and so really into their brass and uh very talented musician um but he was also playing bass guitar in the in this wind band as part of the rhythm section and right and he was a couple of years older than me he's a couple of years older than me and really cool because he had the bass guitar and so i just gravitated towards the, the the cooler instruments and got chatting to him and got to know him kept in touch and he had his own band called unity series they sort of, he just sort of became part of our little orbit again and um yeah he remains a, a good friend close friend i still see him
1: i was to ask about. Um... You played a gig at the gala in Norwich one time and John Peel came and DJed.
5: Yeah, I have no idea how he ended up DJing (laughs) it, but he was quite a regular um, at the gala and he seemed to really like us. Well, he came to see us. I remember on at least one occasion we played at the ICA and he came along on at least one occasion with John Walters, his uh, producer at the time. Um, and made a point of speaking to us afterwards and and saying how they enjoyed it. And I uh, could, at one point, phone the studio when he was on air and have a chat with him while a record was playing. Um, I just tried it out the blue one time and um, phoned the BBC or phoned the studio and said, oh, could you let John know it's Peter from Screen 3? And they put me through. And and I I wasn't sure why I was ringing or what I was hoping to say. I just wanted to give him an update of where we were. Uh,
0: and Neon also spoke to us about. Well, I'm going to ask you the same question, but we asked him a question about a memory, yeah, a favorite memory of the band, and he talked about uh, there was a, a Wham and Spandau Ballet party, yes. Um, and <laughs> I wonder what your
5: recollections was of it. Well, we were we were booked into the studio Maison Rouge in Fulham to record and uh it was with steve brown the producer and he was just finishing off wham's first album they were overrunning and so we turned up for our session george and andrew very kindly came to see us and said look guys we're really sorry we know you've got this studio booked but we're overrunning by a couple of days um and as we're using the same producer and same studio do you mind if we you know you'll have your time made up um and come along to the we're having the playback at the end of the week." We're, we didn't have much choice in that because that was in the studio as well. So they were going to take it over. Um, so of course we 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 said yes. We we then attended the the party. I don't think Spando Ballet ever turned up. They were rumored to be turning up. I remember I invited my sister, um, who lived in London at the time, and a couple of her friends, and they were so excited at the thought that Spando Ballet were going to be there. Wham were relatively new and unheard of. They weren't so fussed about that, but it was this. Um, possibility that Spandau Ballet were going to be there we, we all got very drunk it was a free bar we had a great evening but naturally enough they just kept playing Wham's first album all the time on on absolute um, uh, rotation and it was just getting a bit tedious by about the I don't know, 10th or 11th 12th time and I mentioned to um, Steve Brown the producer I said do you think in a bit, I could maybe put something else on. He said, oh, yeah, a, 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 yeah, a bit later, maybe. So I think about 10 or 15 minutes later, I put in the Madness Greatest Hits cassette. We all started leaping about, and uh, very quickly that got changed back to Wham! And he said, oh, I meant about two in the morning, you idiot! <laughs>
1: That's a great story. But that,
5: that made it into the NME, I think, a week or two later. They used to have a little section on gossip of the week, uh, I think, and little things that had happened. So it's obviously one of those things that the press team at Epic had been told and thought, well, oh, that's a good snippet. We'll get that put in." So I think that featured that you know, screen three caused a, a fuss at the, the Wham playback.
0: What about other yeah. favourite memories, Peter? Is there anything else well, that that you look back fondly on?
5: Uh, yes, well that that period was was great. I also met in the studio, in the same studio, possibly at that same session. I think it was, I'd just been to see, we were recording there, I'd been to see The Jam do one of their final gigs at Wembley Arena. i managed to get tickets. And the next day I was at the studio and speaking with Steve Brown in the bar. And he had a, a friend with him and he introduced him to me as um, Vic Smith. And I said, what do you mean Vic Coppersmith? As yeah, in Vic Coppersmith oh, Heaven. Pretty, and I'm yeah. like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. the jam- I was a huge, huge Jam fan. And he said, oh, you should Thanks. have told me I'd have got you there. You could have been on backstage. And, oh. and whilst doing the Wham um, stuff, we um, recruited Babs from um, Light of the World, the brass section, the, the Brit Funk um, uh, brass band. Uh, Steve Brown was saying that Wham were looking to create a live band to to go out on, on tour. And would Jason and I maybe be interested in... Um, in auditioning or or getting involved he liked the sound we were creating and I said what no I'm in a band I don't I don't need to be in another band I was yeah specific ones I can't remember I suppose that Wham! party is one of them um playing at being at Rockfield Studios and we knew that that was fairly special I loved staying at uh, Hotel Columbia that was apparently the rock and roll hotel of the of the 80s we first time we were recording in London, they'd put us up at a really grotty little hotel, and we'd complained. So the second time, we ended up at this huge place overlooking Hyde Park, called the uh, Columbia Hotel. Um, and Simple Minds were in there. And, and when you look back at interviews from from that period, they will often often bands will talk about being at the Columbia. We, what's, your, we... what's your view on the decline then,
0: in terms of how it where it all ended? Because it felt it felt like the songs were there
5: i i think we we expected things to happen i i think there was quite a bit of naivety on our part i, I myself was only 19 20 richard 17 i th- i think i can't speak for the others but that was a, a a feeling that seemed to be there that we got signed to a major label and it almost felt like well, that was it come and you know let the success come come to us but in reality, that was when we should have been working harder than ever. And I think there was an element of that about it. Nick Rains, our manager, uh, had his job at the UEA, promoting bands and, and putting things on. He didn't necessarily want to upset promoters that he was working with by badgering them all the time. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to speak ill of him. He was a fantastic chap. He very sadly died about 10 years ago. I think it was a, a whole collection of things like that that we just didn't work hard enough and it was disintegrating a bit I think as as the success didn't come as we first thought it would we all started to get a little bit dissatisfied with with each other really there was a, a one or two personality clashes nothing major it just kind of fizzled out a bit which was sad in a way I remember Neil telling me we'd done an interview on a local radio station in Ipswich and we were driving back uh, we, my parents had very kindly driven us there. So we were just sitting in the back chatting. And um, he told me he'd decided that he was he was going to move on. He, he wanted to form another band. It wasn't quite working, wasn't gelling. He wanted to be a bit more pop, um, but he wanted me to be in it, which was great. I don't know if he talked about that at all. Band Big and Beautiful, we went on to to form. Did lots of gigs. We went on tour with the Farmers Boys, but we never actually recorded a, a, or had a single released. We did a few demos um, Steve was in that band, Steve Osborne, on bass, and there's a bit of YouTube stuff, I think footage um by some of the same people who made some of the screen three ones um but we we were around for a couple of years perhaps um and then I got disillusioned with that, and my whole taste in music changed, so I left Big and Beautiful and um formed a band called Cas Carnaby Five. Who released an album in um, the eighties, late eighties, on Bax Records, at Norwich label. Um, that's something I'm really proud of. I, I wrote it and co-produced it with uh, Owen Morris, who went on to do what's the story? He was just a tape operator at or, or um, studio assistant at uh, Spacewood Studios in Cambridgeshire. Yeah, so that that's that sort of post Screen Three, really. But I I think it hit us all quite hard. I think we expected big things, and they didn't come. And, no. Do you, you think know, it's they're...
0: all done? Is it? Are you? Is there any opportunity to go back and revisit some of those songs? Is or is it? Three. Yeah. Is it? Is it, or is it a done deal? All finished. Well,
5: we we rehearsed as a four piece. Jason went off to uh, he lives in Cornwall somewhere, I think. Last I knew, and he wants nothing. To do with any of it, you know. I suppose he sees it. I always felt that he thought it was more of a, a hobby and a part-time thing than I think the rest of us were really invested in it. The original three-piece and me as a fan. Jason was brought in as as a as a trumpeter, as a session player, if you like, who became very much part of the band. We we were all quite good friends, but he was possibly the outsider of the of the group. Um, but the four of us got together. It must be now ten or eleven years ago, and and just set up in a rehearsal room and and played for a day. And, and we got tape of that somewhere, a little bit of video footage. That was uh, quite good, good fun. And it was just like never being away. All the the muscle memory on the the trumpet came back, and I remembered all the tunes. There are a few photos of that on the Facebook page. If you see, there's some of us mm-hmm. looking considerably older. I don't know. The last time we played together as a five-piece was at my wedding. Uh, That was in 91. And then Neil had this um, resurgence when he was in London. with uh, Jason was also living in London and Brett was, I think. So they, they got something together. There was talk three or four years ago, maybe five of the original three redoing some things. And I think they got to a point of, um of recording them and then there was some sort of fallout over mixing or time and busyness and i don't know and it just sort of fizzled out but i wasn't um i wasn't included in that so so um but i'm a teacher really busy doing other things as well i i run a small um music publishing label doing library music so uh that keeps me busy I, I just
0: hope that you get to the stage where the songs are the songs, and to me, yeah. they never were given the justice they deserve. Whether it's a oh. compilation or whether it's something, you know, lots of bands nowadays have re-recorded a lot of their music. Yeah. Um, part of that is down to copyright and, and things like that. But, mm. but I would love to see them. Uh, some of these songs get, you know, the, the proper um, release they deserve. Yeah. I still think they're they're catchy enough. They're the, you know they were always there was really really great
5: songs so why wouldn't they work in the modern day I mean I just don't don't see it a... um and I I feel I can say that because I didn't write them I, I thought Neil's songs were were fantastic yeah are you familiar with Refugee mm, yes I've yeah I've got One it yeah
2: fantastic <laughs> This is friend through us all, but we're crying. We're starting to fall, I want truth. I've somewhere to lay my head. In this place of unrest. we came by sea, and we traveled by land. We saw quiet life in the palms of the hands, we say. Control is protection for all, but we're crying. Two, four
0: Even songs like Nuts and Berries, which yeah. is like a really simple song, but it's yeah. absolutely catchy. I think all of the songs were, were catchy. And some of those, the epic singles, even like stuff like that, the you know, City
5: of know. Soul and City of City of Souls. Soul. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, really, really strong. No, I think so. Okay.
1: Well, look, Noel, have you got anything else you want to add? No, it's been really fascinating actually chatting with you, uh, with you, Peter. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Years
5: ago, extraordinary. Yeah. But Brilliant. Thank you. A lot.
1: Cheers. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, Noel. Wow. Noel, what a couple of interviews. Well, fascinating stuff. I think, you know, as I said, it's finding out life from the inside of the band, the bands that we love. Really interesting stuff. Some of the stories, some of the information. That Wham! Story that is incredible, isn't it? Just makes you laugh. How he you know, went to the van and got the Madness CD out. It's just. <laughs> they <Great stuff. laughs> must have been really annoyed with him. It's really funny.
0: <laughs> for for us, it gives us a real insight into the into the band, and you know I really hope that they they reconnect, uh, you know, as a, as a band as well, uh, you know. And if we if we've been a part of that, then that that's great stuff. So, um, so, thanks yeah. very much, everybody. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Peter, for uh, for doing those those interviews. Uh, we'll certainly uh, keep a keep a spotlight on uh, on the band uh, going forward. Um, so, thanks very much, and let's look forward to the next episode of the Uncharted Eighties podcast.